The Productive Woman, Episode 248. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Thank you so much for joining me. In this episode, I'm delighted to share with you my conversation with world-traveling speaker, teacher, wife, and mom, Susan Comiskey. You'll find more information about Susan, along with links to resources she recommends and the various ways you can connect with her online, all in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 248. This episode is brought to you by Gusto. You know, everyone loves a payday, but loving a payroll provider, that's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your state, federal, and local payroll taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. You can choose from hundreds of benefits plans to fit nearly any budget. And the great thing is you can get direct access to certified HR professionals to help with your really tough questions. Gusto is loyal. It's modern. It's helpful. You might fall in love yourself. And now for this period of time, the Productive Woman listeners are getting three months free of the Gusto services when they run their first payroll. So try a demo and test it out at gusto.com slash TPW. That's gusto, G-U-S-T-O, gusto.com slash TPW. And thanks so much to Gusto for supporting The Productive Woman. And now let's get right into my conversation with Susan Comiskey. I am so pleased to introduce to the Productive Woman listeners, Susan Comiskey. Susan's an enthusiastic speaker and teacher, and together with her husband, she has pioneered and led churches literally all over the world. As a family, they've lived and ministered in Tonga, Uganda, East Timor, is it Timor? Uh, United Kingdom and Singapore, where she currently lives with her husband and their young daughter, whom she calls a miracle of God after 22 years of infertility. And we may want to talk about that a little bit. I have been really looking forward to talking with her about how she's making a life that matters. So welcome, Susan. Thank you, Laura. It's great to be here. Uh, and okay, let me start by, right now with with you having you correct me. How do you pronounce that that word? That Timor. Timor. East Timor. Timor. Okay, there you yes. go. All right. All right. Well, I'm so glad you're here. And I've mentioned a few of the things that you've done, but maybe you could start by telling us a little bit more about who you are, where you are, what you do, whatever you think might be useful for us to know as we get into this conversation. Sure. Well, I'm currently in my early 50s and find myself parenting a young girl. She's eight years old after 22 years of infertility. So that's just crazy and wild. But prior to that, I started as a primary school teacher and then got involved in missionary work. I married young. And like you said, we've traveled all over the world. And now I'm involved in teaching at a tertiary level. Plus, you know, being a minister's wife, and I also speak in in the uh, 
government arena and schools and and different institutions are here in Singapore. And really, my life is quite multifaceted. <laughs> and so you speak in a government and other institutions. What sorts of things do you speak about? Well, I got involved in speaking on what we call family life. So how to raise your children, how to parent, discipline strategies, managing the work-life balance, handling stress as an educator. And the government here has put a lot of money into the working force. And I was fortunate to be involved in some of the pilot projects. And yeah, we just try and help people along in those areas. And the crazy thing was I did a lot of it before I was a parent. Mm. <laughs> just from your uh, from your background as an educator? Yes, from my background as a school teacher and an educator. And my undergraduate work was in psychology. So I had a fairly good idea of the theoretical side of it. And then, of course, now that I am a mother, I bring another avenue and a shade to that to the table. So I have to ask, how did the theory work out once you actually became a mom? Do you know what? It was so frightening when I became a mother and I realized I really didn't know anything that I said to the people I normally worked with, please don't ask me to teach anything for a couple of years. I've got to figure some stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how much of what we think we know about parenting kind of goes by the wayside when we actually become parents. And the funny thing is, I've raised five kids. Every one of them is different. So what you think you've learned from one of them doesn't necessarily translate to the next one. Absolutely. And I'm grateful for both sides of the coin, but I'm a lot more careful what I say now. <laughs> oh, I love that. All right. Well, we're going to talk about how you are making a life that matters as you define it in places all around the world. We'll talk about some of the specifics of how you manage the commitments that you have and the roles you play. But I always think it's helpful to have a little bit of context for those sorts of things. So to start with, if there is such a thing for you as a typical day, what might that look like? Sure. I have two typical days. One is when my husband's in town and the other is when he's not here because he travels probably 45 to 48% of the time he's away. So a typical day when he's around <laughs> is we, we, he and I get up about 5am every morning and that first hour and a half is time to have devotions, he does. He goes for a walk. I make a cup of tea, kind of review my day, make lunches, prep for breakfast. And then at 6.30, we all sort of meet. We get our girl up. He's come in from his walk and we have breakfast as a family. And then by seven, he takes her to school. Then really from seven till 2 p.m., I have a huge chunk of time that I can either work at my desk, I'm currently studying for a doctoral degree in ministry, or I might be speaking, or I'm prepping for a lecture, or maybe I'm meeting people, or I'm teaching, I'm running a class. So I have that chunk of time. And woven through that would be, what are we going to eat for dinner? Oh my goodness, I need to do some laundry, that kind of stuff. And then at 2pm, I would get onto the local public transport and I do an hour's commute to pick up my daughter from school. And I use that time to read on the bus and the train. And then I turn around and come back an hour with her. <laughs> and that's my bonding time. Mm. And then we get home about four. And then from four to 7.30 is the great homework dinner get into your pajamas, brush your teeth, have you combed your hair, drama. <laughs> and then at about 7.30 when she's in bed, 
then I really kind of consider my day is done and I do try and do relaxing things. I really enjoy reading. So I try and read. There may be a meeting I have to attend to, or if I'm speaking the next day, I will prep. But then I'm done. By 9.30, I'm done. We live in the tropics. It's hot. I'm just done. Mm. <laughs> so it finishes about 9.30. And do you have a, a routine for your evenings to sort of wind down and get a good yeah. night's sleep? Yeah. If if my husband's in town, you know, we'll probably have a cup of tea together and we're really big on sort of couch time and debriefing the day and how do we do? We're both a bit driven, a little bit workaholic. And hey, how did you go on that project? Well, I did this. So we will turn the lights down low and make a cup of tea and sit and chat and just try and cool it down. Just mm-hmm. we don't do TV. We, we stopped watching TV a long time ago, but we might read. Sometimes we listen to a podcast. We just try and bring everything down, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so you mentioned that you have another kind of day when your husband's not in town. Right. Okay. So that's very crazy when he's not around. Same deal, the 5 a.m. deal. But then it's one of me getting her out the door. And so we have to be out the door by seven, Mm -hmm. get her to school. And so that is a little more fraught. I have to be a lot more organized. There's not the slack because when there's the two of us, we can sort of tag team a little. And so everything gets a bit more compressed. And I find that handling both of our emotions when he's away, sometimes he's away for two or three weeks, I have to factor that in. So everything takes a little bit longer. It's still the same, although I'm doing everything. I'm solo parenting. So it's the same kind of routine, but I can't fit as much in those days because I don't literally have the time or the emotional bandwidth to do it. Yeah. And so you mentioned that your daughter's school is an hour yeah. away. So <laughs> on those yeah. days when it's just you, do you stay near there for the day or do you come back home and then go back at two o'clock together? When he's away, I use the vehicle so it's a bit faster, uh-huh. but I do sometimes build appointments out by her school to sort of reduce that toing and froing. And I look at juggling and maybe studying in the library near there. I swim three mornings a week. So sometimes I'll do my swim out by her school rather than closer to the home. I use the public pools. So, yeah, I do try and fit things together so there's not so much toing and froing. Yeah, that can be wearing for several years. As I mentioned on the show before, I commuted back and forth to work every day and uh, in Dallas. And we live 54 miles, 55 miles away from where my office was. So it was on a good day, an hour drive there and back on a bad day, a bad traffic day, it could be much longer. And you lose a lot of time when you've got that kind of commute, unless you really think intentionally about organizing your day around that. Yes. And I would say that I have to be a lot more organized and intentional. That was actually a word I was going to talk about. I would say intentionality is a real key for me. When he's away, I used to be a little naive about what that would mean. And I've realized I've got to be a lot more intentional. I don't have the stamina emotionally or even physically because there's all that toing and froing. And just managing her emotions too. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to rethink sometimes how I do those that scheduling. Yeah. And that's interesting. I mean, there are a lot of women and 
probably many who listen to this podcast, who what you've been describing is a part of their life in the sense that their partner is gone for periods of time. Maybe he's in the military and he's gone. My oldest son is in the United States Navy and his wife is home with the kids when he's deployed. He just came back from a six month deployment and it was just her with the three little boys for that period of time. What if you learned, you talked about that your husband sometimes is gone for a couple of weeks. What have you learned about parenting, about maintaining a relationship when you've got those kinds of separations for varying lengths of time? Yeah, it's a great question. And I salute anyone that manages for six months. My goodness. I've learned again to be very intentional. I've learned to be well planned. And so I look at okay, what can I do to, in a sense, compensate? What are some things that would bring some joy to both of us? Mm. Are there people that we could spend time with? Are there people that we could help rather than just sitting around feeling sorry for ourselves? I've learned to watch my language. Um, One time I said to my little girl, oh, daddy's gone. And it triggered a great firestorm of emotion. And I realized later I chose a very inappropriate word. (laughs) She understood that as daddy's gone and never coming back. And so I had to be a little bit clearer. And so then we got a world map and we got a laminated head of daddy and we moved daddy's head around the world. (laughs) And we talked about, isn't he such a great daddy that he's helping people and let's pray for him. And look, he's in this country. What's that country like? And tried to make it of interest to her. I also tried not to be super mum if we needed to eat McDonald's a few more times. That was okay and was really regular in getting good sleep and all those kind of things so that we weren't both emotionally strung out. The other thing that I learned was not to promise that he would call or we would connect with him at a certain time or a certain day because it wasn't always possible and it would set everybody up for failure. And that became something that just was an unnecessary hassle. So we now have the the idea that we'll connect with dad when we can, but he loves us and he's thinking of us and we're thinking of him, but we've got this to do today, so let's go. I love those ideas, those suggestions. I love the idea of having the map there and the the daddy head that you can move around or some <laughs> some way, especially with a young child, helping them to understand that he's away, but he's coming back. Here's where he is, helping them get a little bit more of a concrete image of where he is, why he's gone, and of course, that he's coming back and that he's thinking of us while he's there. I love that. Lots of lessons to be learned from that. We often forget how many people have those sorts of experiences in their life and in their family where one partner is away for short or long periods of time. And you've offered some great suggestions on how to how to make that work a little better. Yeah, so it's been trial and error. And of course, as my girl is growing, I'm having to adapt and change. And um, I foresee that once she's a little older, we can use technology a bit more and perhaps she can connect with him. He also has a routine when he does get on to Skype or Facebook, whatever. He shows her his room and he shows her his calendar and Mm. we share a Google calendar. I'll talk about that later, but I can show her what he's up to. And we're on the journey together, but when we may not be physically there. Yeah. And he will remember little things or take a photo and send it for her. Oh, I was in this place and look at this. I'd like to talk to you about this when I get back. So we work quite hard at involving her in the process. 
Yeah. I have a work colleague that when she travels on business, she has uh, young daughters, she takes one of their stuffed animals with her. And then she takes pictures of that stuffed animal in the various locations where she is and sends those back to the kids. So they get to be part of the journey in that way. And she started that when they were quite young. They're older now and they sometimes roll their eyes a little bit, but uh, I think they, they still kind of like that tradition that they've developed. Yes, I think that's a great word. And I love that idea. I think traditions give that scaffolding that all of us need emotionally. And we might outgrow them, but at the time, they're really important and they do hold us. And you're right, our children need to understand concretely why we're not there or why we're out. And I think it helps them develop a better attitude too and not develop inner maybe resentment or wrong ideas of what either partner is doing. Yeah, exactly. Well, looking at the topic of productivity and making a life that matters, I think every person's life is a little different, presents different challenges as far as staying productive, getting the things done that really matter. What would you say are your biggest challenges when it comes to managing your life and the commitments you have and the roles that you play? I thought a lot about that question, and I think that the biggest challenge is myself. Mm. I see in myself a lot of things that, as I reflect, if I could get better mastery of perhaps my emotional state or my health or even just the way I work, the things that have to be done, that would be beneficial to me. So I've discovered I'm a fantastic procrastinator. <laughs> and <laughs> It's good to know what your talents are. And so if I can just rein that in even just a little bit, I'm not sure I'm ever going to be the world's most non-procrastinating person. I don't even know if that's a term, but doing things that don't need to be done because I don't want to do what has to be done, mm. if I can get that under control, I'm, I'm halfway there. Yeah, I think a lot of us could say the same. It's a challenge a lot of us face. I've often said that when I need to sit down and write something. And I love writing, but it's it's a challenge for me because of my perfectionist tendencies. It's never more important to me to clean my bathroom than when I'm supposed to be sitting down to write. <laughs> I think you might be my long lost sister. My bathroom's <laughs> looking very clean today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So what are some of the things that you do to deal with knowing that you have these procrastinating tendencies? What are some tactics you've used to address that, to try to overcome it? Right. Well, I really work my calendar. My husband and I share a Google calendar and that just right there is accountability because he'll say, well, how are you going on that thing? I see you've got that lecture on Thursday. Have you, I'd be interested in reading it. And I'm like, um, yeah, right. <laughs> so you just accountability with him. And I have a couple of good friends that I've said, please speak into my life. Please hold me accountable. And they'll, they know my schedule perhaps not as intimately as he does, but they'll say, oh, you've got that thing coming up. How's it going? So allowing people to to know what I'm up to and being a little transparent and letting them hold me account, I've taken to really planning really quite diligently and planning in some margins, which allow for my procrastination, allow for an eight-year-old's life and for sickness and just life in general, rather than trying to set up an impossible schedule and then getting frustrated. So I 
I plan and I use my calendar. People hold me accountable. And then I, I try and be a bit more realistic. And so that means I'm not getting frustrated. And then I'm really big on communicating with those like my husband and my good friends that hold me accountable and asking them for help if I need it. Mm. And that seems to keep me motivated and keeps me moving. And I'd say I've, I've improved. Yeah, those are all such great ideas. I really like what you just said about asking people to help, even if it's just to help hold you accountable. I think that's important. I certainly have found that true in my life when there's somebody who can just check in with me, not trying to shame you, but just say, hey, how's it going on that thing you said you wanted to do? And the other thing I liked that you said is that being realistic in planning your schedule, leaving some margin, knowing that especially when you've got a child or children in your life, children get sick, children have bad days, we get sick, things happen. And if everything waits till the last minute, an illness or a broken water heater or something like that can be a disaster for a deadline that you might have. Yes, I would agree. And I also put on my list of that. One of the other things I feel that helps me to be productive and to achieve what I need to achieve is also I put down on my notes, maintaining my kit. So making sure my computer is working well, making sure that the washing machine that I needed to fix gets fixed, making sure that the house is not spotless, but at least clean, a certain level of functionality. And I think just those practical things, because if you go to boot up your computer and the hard drive crashes, that's not fun. (laughs) Yeah. And if you've procrastinated too long so that you're booting it up an hour before you need to do something, it's a disaster. Yes. And that has happened in our house on more than one occasion. And my dearly beloved has told me, I ain't pulling you out of another fix. You need to get on top of this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good to have a partner who will hold your feet to the fire a little bit. Well, you've mentioned a shared Google Calendar, which is a great tool. My husband and I share, we have iPhones and and Mac computers. We use Apple calendars and we share those with each other. I think there's a lot of value there. Aside from your Google Calendar, are there any other particular tools you like or resources you recommend for helping you manage your time, your stuff, whatever, things that you use? Not really. I would say the calendar is king in our house and we've gone sort of all one brand and that keeps us sort of all on track. And that really is enough for us. I mean, we have smaller apps, you know, currency converters, time things, but nothing like the calendar. The the shared calendar is revolutionary for us because I can see what his loading is. He can see what my loading is. We've got their school stuff in there. And we actually have planning meetings. Our friends think we're a bit nuts, but we actually have a planning meeting once a week. If he's in town, we touch base and and do the micro of the week. And then about once a month, we do a three-month plan out. And we keep fine-tuning that till we're both happy and we can see the corners that are coming up. And that really is with our phones, having that on tap at any time of the day or night, or if he's on the other side of the world and he says, hey, I see you've got this meeting. Is that still going on? Do you need me to do something? Or that has revolutionized the way we are productive. 
Yeah, I love that. And it's, I don't think it's such a weird thing to have planning (laughs) meetings, especially with the travel schedule your husband has and with the speaking engagements you have and the things that your daughter has going on. It seems to me very smart to look ahead and plan accordingly so that you're not thrown for a loop because you didn't realize, hey, I've got this thing going on and you're going to be out of town. How are we going to cover this this other thing? So I think it's a great idea. Yeah. We also discovered that it took a lot of stress out of our marriage mm-hmm. um, because we're not mind readers. And sometimes I would fail to communicate, look, I'm really nervous about this lecture. I haven't done this before, or I'm going to this new place. And would you be on hand to do, take care of childcare? And if I didn't communicate that well, then I'm assuming that he's going to understand and respond, but he doesn't. And then I get mad at him. <laughs> it's just a vicious circle. Yeah. That's a lesson I had to learn early on uh, about little things like expectations that were not voiced because when we were, especially when we were young newlyweds, if he loved me, he'd just know that I want flowers or something like that. And well, as you said, none of us are mind readers. And so I had to eventually learn if I want flowers, I can tell him I'd like to have some flowers or I can just go buy myself some flowers, but not to be mad at somebody because he didn't know I wanted something or needed something from him that I never communicated to him. Yes, correct. And we've really worked at that. And I was, we've been married, oh, I think coming to 32 years. And before we had a a child, we could skid through a lot of stuff and kind of wing it. But after we had Anna, we realized we've got to lift our game because life's getting busier. It's because there's another layer of complexity. We're both getting involved in more things. And this old method ain't working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, having kids will do that to you. <laughs> and I love that you both recognize that and that you've taken action on purpose to do something about that. And I think that's, if there's a secret to making a meaningful life and getting through these things as a family, I think that's it. Just acknowledging where the challenges are and communicating about it and coming up intentionally with an approach to addressing those things. Well, one of the things that we decided was that because we're both involved in, in church work, he's traveling and missionary work and a lot of my other work in teaching is in that area, is that we had a family motto that we want to help people. Mm. But we were basically struggling to help ourselves. Mm. <laughs> we weren't much used to anybody else. And so we wanted to create room for others And that required us to kind of get our act together. And yeah, it's been a really good learning curve. We don't always get it right, but I think we're that's helped us be more productive. And it's helped us also too, as we plan to know what things we shouldn't take on and what things we should. And we've surprised ourselves with capacity that we didn't think we had. And then we've also realized we have limitations. So that planning and intentionality has helped us kind of test the waters on things and say, okay, this is where we can build some capacity. And this is actually an area. No, this is not for us. We can't do this. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is recognizing sometimes that the answer is 
not right now. And remembering that not now doesn't mean not ever. Sometimes there are seasons of life, as you, you've kind of alluded to the fact that as your daughter's getting older, different things come into play. And we need to address the season we're in and make those decisions on purpose about what works for us as a family and for each of us as individuals in this season of life where we are right now. Yes. And the season thing is huge because I think often, at least when I first was at university, it was like, have your list of priorities. What's first, second and third? And then now as I've lived in Asia, you know, they've got a quite a different approach sometimes to that very linear approach. And they have this idea of a wheel and what's at the center of your wheel. And then as the wheel turn, different spokes and different parts of the rim will hit hit the ground. And Mm. so that's that season idea. Right now it's this, but the center is still the same. And I have learned that the list, one is always one and two is always two doesn't work. But the wheel approach and different things at different times have to be attended to different seasons. And within a season, there's a a micro season. Mm -hmm. And then building in some room for other people. So it's not just about us um, has been important for us. Well, and you all have had the additional complexity of living in a lot of different countries and a lot of different cultures and trying to incorporate all of that and adjust to that. My hat's off to you. Any lessons learned from that, from the various countries that you've lived in over the course of your life together? Yeah, gosh, a lot, a lot I've learned and a lot I'm still learning. I guess that's probably the first thing I've learned is that it is a journey. You know, it sounds a bit trite, but it is true. You don't know everything and you probably never will. So stop trying to get it right on day one in the new country. I've also learned that anything in your life that was a weak point will have a greater weakness in that new culture till you learn to adapt. And so if for me, I've been prone to a bit of anxiety when I moved to a new place, that becomes heightened mm. and that used to kind of throw me I think well why am I back here and then I realize well that's just my Achilles heel and and I'll get through that so I've learned that I've learned that different isn't necessarily wrong Mm. that there's different ways to do things and that just because my mama said it that way doesn't mean my mama's better than your mama uh, (laughs) because your mama said it that way (laughs) so I've learned to be flexible I've learned that it takes time to adapt and it takes time for people to invite you into their world and not to get offended by that. And I've learned that the world is an amazing place. And I've just, it's been such a privilege to go to all these places and to actually live and embed in a community and people actually to let me into their lives. It's, I find it just incredible, really. Yeah. What an experience in so many ways. What an opportunity to grow as a person and get a broader sense of the world. I've sometimes envied uh, certain friends of mine who were born and raised and lived most of their life in the same place and having those deep roots. And, And there's something great about that. But on the other hand, what you've experienced, there's so much to learn from that and so many opportunities to grow and see the world in a different way. And so I kind of envy you that a little bit. Well, I had the really, the wonderful privilege of having amazing parents. My parents are still around. They live in Sydney, Australia. They're incredible. They live in the same house. (laughs) I think they still eat the same food every day. I mean, (laughs) my, my family was predictable, predictable, predictable. And that 
has set me up for a great future. And I think that their great gift to me was that stability and routine. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes I feel guilty. You know, my kids lived in five different places and, you know, (laughs) she hasn't had the beautiful old big house that I call home. And I know every nook and cranny. I know where the paint's chipped. You know, I know that I know that place inside out. So I think you've just got to make what you have, make it work for you and take the good with the bad and, and, Grass may look greener, but it's not always. <laughs> yeah. And you can provide the stability for your daughter in even with all the the moves, even with all the different locations, the stability that your parents provided was more than just that house. Yes, and you're correct. And it's their it's their support and their love and their unconditional love. And and we're working on that. We told her early on, she's quite a bright little girl, and she said, you know, where is home? Because she was born in England. My husband's from New Zealand. I'm from Australia. We live in Singapore. <laughs> we're like the British Empire. And uh, I said, well, home is where mum and dad and, and, and you and we live together. That's home. Yeah. That's where we're, that's home. And it might be here this week, it might be there next week, but that's home. Home is us. Yes. So she, she kind of got that, which I, I was pleased. Yeah. I love that. Well, Susan, you've, you've shared so many great ideas. You've talked a little bit about how you sort of manage the, the unique routines that go with your family. You, you're obviously very intentional about the way you do things, but even with the, the routines that you have, the systems you have, the attitudes you have, um, I got to ask the same question. I ask every (laughs) guest with all of that in place, do you ever have a day when it all gets away from you or you get just stressed out and completely overwhelmed? And if so, what do you do to get back on track? Oh, absolutely. Many days. Many days I I set the bar too high. It's my own fault. I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I, I'm going to do 59,000 things and I only did, you know, 58,000 and I'm uh, irritated with myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I've learned to, I think I alluded, alluded to that earlier, not to set the bar so high and to really just take a step back. And that helps. Sometimes I do get very stressed out and overwhelmed. And really, the two things that are my go-to are prayer and sleep. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes you, you, we can't solve everything ourselves. We, we, it's got to, you've got to lift it up and, um, and leave it in the hands of God and just say, I don't know what else to do, and now I'm going to sleep. And I make no bones of the fact that I go to bed early. I get up early, but I go to bed early. I can't burn the candle at both ends. And prayer and sleep are probably my two biggest go-tos. I think the other thing, Laura, that I've learned is that really growing myself is what helps me to get back on track Mm. because I do get stressed out and overwhelmed. Sometimes I would say 80% of it is my own inadequacies and my own failure to grow in an area. And if I would be willing to be self-reflective and, you know, think about, okay, what, what didn't work, then I can get back on track. And then the other time is sometimes just life, you know, people, things happen, you know, a close friend passes away or someone does something, you suffer an injustice and you, that's where prayer comes in. You, you've just got to pray about those things. There's yeah. nothing else that you can do and recognize that you haven't failed. Yeah. So so positive self-talk and just a sensible attitude 
And then I have noticed, I'll add this as well, just in case I sound like I've got it all together, that probably every six months I get a really bad flu and I have about a week in bed. (laughs) (laughs) Phil? And I... I think that's my body's way of saying, yeah, we, we just need a break here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And, and recognizing that and letting yourself have that, I think, uh, are, are two keys to to getting through it and getting back on track. Well, I love that. That's so helpful. Some, some great yeah. encouraging words there. Susan, what's on the horizon for you? What do you have coming up professionally or personally that you're excited about that you're looking forward to? Gosh, there's so much. Um, I think you probably read I'm doing my doctoral degree. So I'm on the second year of doing my doctor in ministry degree. So that is keeping me busy, busy, busy and reading. I'm just about to take a class on ethics and morality, which I'm so looking forward to. Um, so that's really exciting personally and professionally. I'm also in doing some lectures for a research lab here in Singapore that's stretching me a little. I'm finding it a little intimidating and having to dig a little deeper. (laughs) And then for the summer, we will join my husband. He's got some trips to Africa. So we're going back to Africa where we have lived before and got teaching and church work there and our girl will be with us. And so we love that because we get to do some really fun stuff with her as well as see another part of the world. And then I'm hoping to visit my mum and dad a little later in the year. So, yeah, that's just the next sort of wee while. There's, for me, I'm I'm always looking for the next thing, which sometimes is good and sometimes is bad. But I, I'm, I'm excited about what's coming up. Yeah. That sounds great. Susan, where can people connect with you online if they want to, if they've got a question, if they want to see more of what you're doing? Do you, do you have a website or anything like that? Or, or where can people connect with you? Yes, they can connect, connect with me at susankumiski.org. That's my website. And uh, there's a facility there to email me. Also, if anyone's interested in our journey with infertility, um, we had 22 years of infertility, and there is a Facebook group called The Heartbeat Project. And the story of our daughter is called Anna. Her name is Anna. So that's on Facebook. It's called The Heartbeat Project. So susankumiski.org for The Heartbeat Project. Or just email me through my website. Happy to help if we can. Don't know everything. Working stuff out along the way, but um, happy to share the journey. And you are also a member of our Productive Woman Community Facebook group as well, right? Yes, I am. I am. And I'm enjoying that. Thank you, Laura. It's terrific. It's a great community. It's an honor for me to be a part of it. But that's a great place if listeners have questions uh, who are members of that community, they can just pop in there. Uh, well, I appreciate your your wisdom, your thoughts, your candor in this conversation. Before we go, do you have any last words for the listener who might be looking for a little help or encouragement in, in getting things done and making a life that matters? What would you say to her? Yeah, I would say two things. One, just start something, you know, just keep moving. Um, because, you know, if you keep making good decisions and little steps forward, it does gain momentum. It does gain, you know, I really struggled with my weight for quite a while and I I hated the gym and all that kind of stuff. And I just decided to go swimming, which I loved as a kid. And I, I procrastinated as you've probably picked up, but you know, I just kept doing a little bit and I have succeeded and I'm enjoying it now. The other thing that I would offer is 
don't don't compare yourself to other people. It's a deadly trap and none of us look like our Instagram accounts. Don't compare yourself. You are who you are. Your journey is your journey and what you do, no one else can do. And the, and the role that you have or the children that you're bringing or the business that you're running or the, you know, the wisdom that you're imparting, that's, that's your thing. And, and we need you to do what you do. So don't, don't be looking at someone else and comparing and, and, and kind of messing that up because I did that for a long time it messed me up yeah boy I couldn't say it any better myself thank you so much Susan for taking this time to talk with me this has been such a joy thank you Laura you're a sweetheart thank you I really enjoyed talking with Susan, and I am so thankful to her for taking the time to share with us her thoughts on how she's managing her interesting life and for her great suggestions and encouraging words for the rest of us. But what do you think? Do you have any questions for Susan or for me about the things that we discussed on this episode? I would love to hear from you. I know she would as well. You can share your questions or your thoughts in the comments section of the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 248 or post a comment or question on the Productive Woman's Facebook page. Or as I mentioned during the conversation with Susan, she's a member of the Productive Woman Community Facebook group. So feel free to post there if you are a member of that group. And if you're a woman who listens to this show, We'd love to welcome you there. Uh, that's a private group where we can meet up and interact more directly, ask questions, share information, insights, and encouragement. Basically talk about productivity, the things we discuss on the show. You can find the group on Facebook or just go to theproductivewoman.com slash group and click the join button. Be sure to answer the three, two or three little questions there so I know that you're actually a woman who listens to the podcast. And if you are, I'd love to connect with you there. And again, you can connect with Susan there as well. If you'd like to share your thoughts with me privately about this episode or anything else, uh, you can email your questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com. And I would love to hear from you. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Remember Gusto, our sponsor of this episode, offers modern, easy payroll, benefits, and HR to small businesses across the United States. They were even named Best Online Payroll by PC Magazine. And as a listener of this podcast, you'll get three months free when you run your first payroll. So sign up and give it a try at gusto.com slash tpw. That's gusto, G-U-S-T-O dot com slash T-P-W for The Productive Woman. Thank you so much to Gusto for supporting The Productive Woman podcast and entrepreneurial productive women everywhere. And that is it for this episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you so much for spending this time with me and with Susan. I hope you found something in it that's helpful and encouraging to you. And I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter. Mm-hmm.